0: Hi, I'm Katie Ayer, and you are listening to the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast.
1: Hey, are you or someone you care about, considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our Terms of Service available on our website DivorceMagazineCanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. Family law, what is it? Have you ever wondered? My guest today, Katie Ayer from Resolve Legal Group is going to address Family Law Basics in a Family Law 101 episode. She also wrote an article for the Divorce Magazine Canada and you can find that magazine displayed in many places across much of Alberta. You will see it displayed where free publications are because it is free. So grab a copy and meet all of the experts that have contributed very informative articles there. And it's, for example, In transit stations, grocery stores, banks, uh, coffee shops, libraries, many, many places. So be sure and check it out. Or you can also see downloadable PDF copies of it on our website, DivorceMagazineCanada.com. Now let's meet Katie and find out more about the basics of family law. Good morning, Katie. I am really thrilled to have you here with us today. And an opportunity to tell us more about what family law is. So please tell us a bit about yourself and the why behind uh, what you do. Sure, so
0: I am a family lawyer with Resolve Legal Group. I have been practicing uh, family law in my own practice since August, 2020, when I was called to the bar, but I have been with Resolve Legal Group since April of 2018. So I started working here in my second year of law school as a summer student, and I have continued on because I just uh, love what this firm stands for. It's a very holistic approach to family law matters, uh, as you may know, and as some listeners may know, family law is more than just uh, a legal issue. And you know, oftentimes the courts are not the best place. Well, not even oftentimes. All the times, <laughs> the courts are not the best place for families to end up. So by being able to offer my clients something more holistic, something looking at the whole picture of their family and how their family is growing and changing um, really makes my work more fulfilling than if it was just, you know, we're going to court and that's that. So I mean, of course, in in this area of law, sometimes going to court is inevitable. (laughs) Right. You yeah. can't prevent that, you can't change it, but uh, at least we have supports in place for our clients that help make it more
1: manageable for them. That's amazing. And you've put together a presentation and we're looking at a slide right now that you're going to show us a PowerPoint and give us an overview of Family Law 101 because so many people, it's it's just a, a scary thing. There's uh, these evil lawyers out there that are <laughs> just you know we want to we want to bust those myths and not only introduce people to lawyers like yourself who do care you you want to try and keep this out of the courts if possible but just to help them understand what what family law what what does that even mean right so through my presentation today
0: I'll I'll give kind of a breakdown of what the different terminology the courts and your lawyers are likely using Um, why there's different courts for different things, why something might apply to you and other things might not, why you might hear a a friend who's gone through this process say one thing, um, but the same thing doesn't apply to your case. So it's just, my presentation today will be a very brief and high-level overview, Um, but at least it it will hopefully give listeners and and viewers a, A starting point, a jumping off point, if they're looking into this themselves as to what will apply to them uh, and where to find out more about their rights.
1: That's incredible. Uh, I just so appreciate, Katie, that you're giving us this information and sharing your time this way to just to help people so they don't have that fear and they don't feel all alone in this. And when they do hear some of this terminology, it doesn't add to the chaos in their brain. I, th- I just think this is going to be so beneficial. So let's get started. I'm excited to see what you've got to share with us.
0: All right. So oh,
1: before we start, I do want to remind people that you can see these slideshows as well on our YouTube channel. This is also linked to our website. So that's a couple of places that you'll be able to find the video of this podcast so that you can follow along with the slides. So yes, go ahead, Katie. All right. So we'll start with,
0: what is marriage? (laughs) Good place to start. (laughs) right? So uh, marriage is defined as a union between two persons. It gives certain privileges, entails certain obligations. Uh, A lot of that has actually grown and developed and changed through the years. So, um, you know, previously, 30 years ago, there were laws in place that, you know, a, a wife had to submit to a husband a wife had to um submit to sexual relations if her husband wanted that and that's no longer in place (laughs) thank goodness
1: okay yeah (laughs) stop the bus right there i need to ask some questions about this this sounds like it's straight out of the bible Um, yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i did not realize that was a law was it just an implied law or was this actually in writing somewhere
0: so there was actually a, a tort. So a, a tort in law is, is some kind of harm that you cause to another. there's a tort that you could sue for called lack of consortium. If uh, if a spouse was not,
1: yes. No freaking <laughs> Providing... way. Like <laughs> people who are like, um, when you watch this, you are not going to s- probably. You'll just see the slides. You're not going to see the faces that I'm going. Holy crap! No way! And yeah. Uh, yeah so this is this is very interesting, Katie. You have us yeah, already. So- you had us at marriage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right there we go, and that and that's all you need to know. No. Um. <laughs> so the main thing that people need to know about marriage nowadays, and and the obligations that come along with it, is that you cannot remarry if you are already married. So the biggest piece of the divorce puzzle is, you know, if you want to remarry, you need that official certificate from the court saying that you are no longer married. So Go that's ahead. the biggest piece of that puzzle. Okay, got it. All right. So there are different pieces of legislation that apply whether you are married or unmarried. And legislation is uh, the laws that are set in place by the government, you can find um, statutes and legislation all online. And so if you're going through this process, you might hear um, things like the Family Law Act, the Divorce Act, the Adult Interdependent Relationships Act, Family Property Act. Those Those are the main acts that we're gonna be dealing with when you're going through a divorce. So of course, if you're married, you're gonna fall under the Divorce Act because that's what has to happen to you know dissolve your marriage if you're not married then those rules don't necessarily apply because you're not legally married so we have a very similar uh, act called the family law act and that's what's going to apply if you're not married so a lot of the things in those two acts are similar Uh, The biggest difference is the terminology that we use. So you'll see on my slide here, uh, corollary relief equivalent terminology. And what that means is corollary relief are the things that the court wants to see that you have dealt with to separate or to divorce. And so those are things like parenting or child support or spousal or partner support and any property division that might apply between the parties. So if you're married and you're under the Divorce Act, parenting is dealt with by the terminology parenting time and decision-making responsibility. So we don't use custody and access anymore. And the main reason for that is because the courts and lawyers and everyone going through the system was finding that even just the use of that term was causing more conflict because no one wants to be an access parent. No one wants to feel like they are less than um, because they're not taking care of the children primarily. And so now it's just parenting time. You know, what is your parenting time? What's your schedule? That kind of thing. And not, you know, do you have access to your kids every other weekend? Um, That kind of thing. And then child support and spousal support under the Divorce Act. Under the Family Law Act, you deal with guardianship, parenting time, and contact. And there's a slide later on where I can get into kind of the differences of of what those all mean, but that's essentially the umbrella of parenting under the Family Law Act. And then we have child support. And under the Family Law Act, we deal with partner support instead of spousal support. So then you'll also see here, there's what, why, and where. So what you need to file, why you're filing that, and where you're gonna go to have your matter heard. So under the Family Law Act, we start with a claim. Uh, That's just a a formal court document that you'll file. And under the Divorce Act, uh, there's a family application. The why is what you're explaining to the court, why you need them to decide things for you, why there is an issue, Um, and why it should be decided a certain way. And so under the Family Law Act, if you're unmarried, you're going to file what's called a statement. And if you're married, you're going to file what's called an affidavit. An affidavit and a statement are both just sworn documents that set out your evidence in your matter. And then your where is provincial court or the court of King's Bench, if you're not married. Uh, and the court of King's Bench only if you are married. And the main reason for that difference is because the Divorce Act is federal. It goes all the way across Canada. And so it's only the higher courts that will deal with divorce, not the uh, lower provincial court. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for clarification. Of course. So here's something that we, we hear a lot about separation and people asking, how do I get a legal separation? And that's something, again, that terminology-wise, there there is no such thing as a legal separation per se. So we can do up a separation agreement that sets out your rights and obligations after you separate. Um, But there is no document that says if you're not married or even if you are married, here's the date that you officially separated. Um, So that's, you know, a legal separation. If you want to deal with your rights and obligations legally after you separate, you can do that either through court orders, divorce judgments, or a separation agreement. Um, I do also have a comment on here that you can draft a separation agreement with your spouse or hire a lawyer to draft one, Uh, of course, Generally, with the lawyer, you're going to get something that has more detail, that has more um, of the little pieces of the puzzle that you might not think of. And then in Alberta, there's also, uh, if your separation agreement deals with property, there needs to be an exchange of full financial disclosure. So you need to be able to disclose all of your assets and liabilities to make sure that both parties know what what the other has. And they know what rights they're giving up and what rights they're gaining. So, without that information, someone can't advise you and say, yes, this is fair, or no, that's not fair. Because, you know, as a lawyer, we wouldn't know what fair is if we don't know what you have. Right. So, um, the second piece is that you need to sign in separate rooms from your spouse. And the third piece is that you need independent legal advice. So a lawyer to go through that agreement with you and tell you whether or not it's fair. Now, this is also something that people might hear different things about, whether or not they're necessary, whether or not they need to follow these steps. And with those three steps, your separation agreement is going to be as legally binding as you could possibly make any document. Um, Without those steps, then it, it, it's not that it's not legally binding, but it becomes more questionable. So if someone has an issue with that agreement down the road, the court's gonna look at, okay, were these steps met? Uh, Were these obligations fulfilled? And if not, then did these two people have, you know, an equal bargaining power? Did they both come to the same table with equal rights and knowledge? to enter into this agreement and then you know the court's going to get into a more in-depth look at whether or not they should hold up this separation agreement or not Um, at the end of the day the court has often said you know parties should be free to make whatever agreement they choose whatever bargain they choose and so courts are often hesitant to reopen separation agreements unless there has been that unfair bargaining power Uh, or you know if if there's any threats. You know, if someone's saying, well, you have to sign this because you're not going to get anything else from me or something along those lines, that's something that the court would reopen likely in the future.
1: So well, this is interesting, Katie, because it's, you're saying this is used for dissolve, not dissolving, but for separating whether they're married or not married, correct? That's right. Okay.
0: Um, And I will later on discuss further when that's necessary because when you're together with someone for say six months you know chances are you don't need all of this but there is again that legislation that we talked about Um, so recently the family property act changed so that it now includes unmarried partners and sets out how their property should be divided but it only applies if you qualify as what's called an adult interdependent partner. So then we have another piece of that legislation in play and we have to determine whether you qualify as an adult interdependent partner. Uh, And that's I mean, the general rule of thumb is if you've been living together in a relationship where you're relying on each other financially, emotionally, that kind of thing for three or more years or potentially less if you have a child together or if you sign an agreement saying we acknowledge we're adult interdependent partners. So that's something that you're going to want to take into consideration if you're doing up a separation agreement if you're not married.
1: Okay, hey, good to know.
0: Yeah, so I'm I guess I I went through a lot of this slide already, but a separation agreement is at the end of the day just a contract uh between two parties and it will usually Deal with each of those topics that the court wants to make sure you deal with when you're separating and when you are finalizing your divorce. So, those are parenting, child support, spouse support, and property. When you're getting divorced, uh, it is the legal action to terminate your marriage relationship. So, you do require a court order for this one because you need that piece of paper saying that you're no longer married if you ever want to get remarried. So at the end of the day, like we discussed in that very first slide, you can't get remarried until you have that certificate, right? So that's the main difference. A lot of people who are married will get a separation agreement drawn up before they go into the divorce process, uh, because then it essentially just stops all of that potential for fighting and, um, it, it makes the process easier a lot of the time, right? But you can always ask a lawyer if whether or not you need that separation agreement or, you know, if it's going to be better for you to go a different route. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're applying for a divorce, there are three grounds. Uh, generally, we will see people going on the ground of separation. And that just means you've been living separate and apart for a year or more. It's it's easy to plead that ground. I mean, um, because you don't have to do anything else. You just you've been living separate and apart. That's that's it. Um, with the other two, adultery and cruelty, uh, it it's a little more difficult to prove, and so we don't see those as often. So with adultery and cruelty, you either need the person who has uh, carried out those actions to swear an affidavit. So again, we're hearing that term again, that evidence that you have to prove to the court um, saying that, yes, I committed adultery with this person, and then the court would grant your divorce faster. Or if there's mental or physical cruelty, they're going to have to swear an affidavit saying, yes, I did these things to my spouse. And so as you can imagine, (laughs) there's not a lot of people willing to do that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is um, why we often see the grounds of one year separation being the most common. Because the alternative, if if that spouse isn't willing to swear an affidavit, giving evidence saying, yes, I committed adultery or yes, I, I was cruel to my spouse then it has to go to trial to prove it. And as you can imagine, and as most people know, trials aren't cheap, it's very expensive, it's a very long process, it's mentally draining, it's emotionally draining, it's financially draining. And so most of the time it's not worth it for people, you know. but that's a decision that everyone needs to make for themselves.
1: Now, Katie, I know we're looking at this from a high level, but I wanna dig into those last two just a little bit to clarify them a little more. With the adultery, it is specific to sexual relations. Now, with the internet age and all that we have with, you know, the whole texting and all that kind of stuff, what did, are they actually just talking physical or is this got, is there some gray areas that you're seeing as well, you know, different types of um, infidelity? To be quite honest,
0: I, I haven't seen uh no that's a lie i have seen one divorce go through on the grounds of adultery where someone was willing to swear an affidavit and it was where there were sexual relations so personally i have not seen uh or experienced anything where the divorce is going through on the basis of adultery uh in another context i i see your point i but i i don't want to make up an answer. I don't want to give any information that I don't know to be true. So I I really don't know how to answer that question. I have not seen it personally. Um, I have not seen any
1: cases coming out about it. Um, so I I can't say for sure. And then on the cruelty side of it, there's an A and a B part to this on the slide. So you must show the court there is more likely than not that there was a cruelty and B intolerability to get a divorce.
0: So that the, the mental or physical cruelty was so intolerable
1: that you could no longer live together. Okay. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. So that would have, and I'm, I'm happy to see too, that the definition of domestic violence is not just physical. It is mental, it's mental, financial, social, sexual, all those other ways of this cruelty. And that that is a grounds for divorce. Now, if we don't, we don't want to get, right down in the weeds to define exactly what you're talking about. But if the grounds for the divorce are number two or number three, which is adultery or cruelty, can that change the outcome for the spouse that uh, did not act in that way? Unfortunately,
0: not usually. So in Alberta, divorce is no fault. (laughs) So
1: it, it's regardless
0: yeah whomever is yeah whomever (laughs) is is acting this certain way they're not going to be penalized for acting this way in the divorce now of course if there's mental or physical cruelty there could be a penalty in another forum so you know there could be criminal sanctions there could be protection orders those things could apply but when it comes to the divorce itself when it comes to splitting your property, when it comes to payment of support, um, those things don't take into consideration any past action. Um, Even when it comes to parenting, you know, the courts try not to look at past actions. But the exception to that being, you know, if that behavior is directly related to a party's ability to parent, of course, the court is going to look at that. Of course, they're going to look at what is in that child's best interests. And if a parent isn't fit uh, to see a child, you know, on their own, if they need supervision, if they need um, something else in place to make it safe for the child, then that's what the court's going to do. So parenting, in my opinion, would really be the only circumstance where um, this would really come into play. Thanks for clarifying that.
1: That's interesting.
0: So For the Divorce Act, as I said before, it's federal. So it's the same all across Canada when you're divorcing. The main difference you're going to see are the forms that you need to fill out from province to province and the procedures that you need to follow. Before you go to court to get your divorce, uh, you need to be able to show proof of your marriage. So that's your marriage certificate. Um, If you are married in another country, then you when you're submitting your divorce forms, you essentially give all of the details of that marriage, where it was, who was present. Essentially, you need to be able to prove that there was a celebration of marriage if you don't have that marriage certificate to show. Um, And then residency. So if you're applying for a divorce in any province in Canada, you need to be resident. uh, Well, in Alberta, it needs to be for one year to know that you're, um, quote unquote, habitually resident. That's the requirement in the Divorce Act. If you moved out of a province, um, then returned, you would have lost that habitual residence and you would need to wait a year to file. Uh, But once your statement of claim for divorce, that's your document that starts the divorce process in Alberta, has been filed, then you're free to move wherever you so choose. and, and don't take that as, as advice saying, you know, if you have kids, you can pack them up, move them wherever you want, do whatever you want. Of course, if you have kids, that's going to change the game a little bit. Um, but, you know, if if you're just now newly single and you want to move
1: and start your life fresh somewhere
0: else, you, you're you not going to be prevented from doing that.
1: And just to clarify, moving out of province and you do even for a short period now, that wouldn't necessarily just be for a work situation where you're temporarily, you know, in a, in a hotel or renting a space, it it would be an actual mailing address or how would that be defined? That's correct.
0: Yes. So if you say work a rotation or work out of town or something like that, so long as your permanent address remains in Alberta,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, then that wouldn't change. Now, if you have children, Um, through your marriage, there's also a requirement to complete a parenting after separation seminar before you can bring any applications for parenting, before the court, or before you can complete your divorce. And that's an online seminar uh, that is completely free through the Alberta courts. And it just essentially teaches parents about um, the effect of divorce on your children and how to best communicate with your co-parent for your children's benefit. Now, when you're getting a divorce, there's a few options. You can do it yourself. You can hire a lawyer or you can hire a paralegal. I often tell people um, the best kept secret, secret is on the court's website, you go to the court of King's bench because that's the court that has jurisdiction over divorce. Uh, there's publications and forms on the right toolbar and then there's divorce forms and instructions and for every different divorce scenario they actually have a step-by-step guide on how to do it yourself um so that's something that i often even uh, tell my clients once we've settled issues you know check out these forms see if it's some, see if it's something you want to do yourself um, if you want to just have me look over stuff that kind of thing there's there's lots of options out there at different price points um, so, you know, sometimes people will say, do I need a lawyer to get divorced? You don't. <laughs> if
1: that's that's up to you. And that's good for people to understand because whether they work in conjunction with a lawyer it or not, these resources can be very helpful to help them understand what it is they're doing and why and help with the cost of it, you know, keep those manageable as well, but also feel like their legal basis have been covered. Right, exactly. Thanks for sharing that tip. Yeah, no
0: problem. Um, If you do go on that website, you're gonna see that there's two main types of divorce. There's uncontested and contested. So uncontested means we're not fighting over anything anymore, we've agreed to everything and we just wanna get divorced. Contested is gonna mean, you know, we still have some of those issues to figure out that parenting, child support, spousal support property, Some of them are still outstanding. And so we're not quite at the end point yet. So if you do go and look at those forms, that's the difference if you're looking at contested and uncontested. Um, So the court may stop your divorce. Uh, That is, again, very rare. And that is because it's on those basis of those grounds that we talked about before. So there's the one year separation, there's adultery and there's mental and physical cruelty. So first is if there's collusion. So if you don't wanna wait one year separation and you say, okay, we're gonna tell the court that uh, you committed adultery so that we can get divorced right away and the court finds out, um, they're gonna say, no, you don't get to essentially cheat the system. Um, if there's condemnation, so you know, if there was adultery and you later forgave it, uh, and continued to live together, so you couldn't file a divorce and say, Well, uh, my spouse slept with someone else 10 years ago, so I want my divorce tomorrow instead of in one year. That's that's not going to fly either. Uh, and then connivance, so if you allow your spouse to commit adultery or cruelty, you cannot use those grounds for divorce, uh, and that's. I mean, there's lots of different things that people can consent to. And so that is something that could happen nowadays or any days, I should say. Um, so these these grounds for the court stopping the divorce, again, is it's rare for us to see these in play because it, it's rare for us to see the grounds of divorce being anything other than the one year separation.
1: Yeah. And it's, it is kind of unsettling to, especially number three, the connivance, allowing a spouse to commit adultery or cruelty, especially the cruelty part, because women, well, I'm just generalizing, uh, spouses, I should mm-hmm. say, it happens to both men and women. They, they do stay in environments that are unsafe and involve abuse and in some, some cases, especially when it's psychological or, you know, financial type of abuse, they don't really consider that being, you know, cruelty or abuse, they aren't even aware of it. And so, um, you know, how do you prove while they stayed? So is that connivance? Is that is that allowing that? And I mean, technically, yes, it is. But uh, I can see where that's very difficult to deal with. And so why you're not seeing that probably?
0: Yeah, and and why, as I was saying before, people often just go with the one-year separation because mm-hmm. you know it it becomes a big ball of yarn to unravel when you start to go down these roads, and it is you know it's not great. Well, <laughs> I think... have sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. just that that these options aren't more readily available. Uh, to people who need them that that it is such a, a mountain to climb to to be able to prove something like this
1: i think what is very important to make clear is that there's not going to be a penalty because of you know proving this there's maybe satisfaction you know, just in general, that you were able to prove that or that you got them to sign this affidavit, but uh, there's really not going to be a benefit to, you know, what you take away, that there won't be a penalty that that you will live with. And I think that's something that I've struggled with personally. And that's why I, I just bring that out because I didn't realize it was you know I'd I'd been in a, a an abusive situation for over 30 years and and finally left and this happened about six years ago when the divorce was finalized and you know, looking back now, all that I've learned about abuse since that I was feeling regretting, you know, that I hadn't maybe pursued that road, that path and going, wait a minute, like that's why this didn't work. That's why it had to end and thinking, that maybe there would have been better outcomes for me so for people to know it's it's probably not going to be worth your fight you you know you might get some satisfaction out of it personally but not necessarily monetarily or uh, in any other way so it's it is you know it's good to to understand that the percentage of those are so rare like it's just so rare it's so low of yeah. those type of cases that you see
0: yeah, and it's the reliving it, too. For some people, it's, you know, they don't That's want to relive what they've
1: left. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Would you say that that is uh, unique to Canada? Like, are there penalized Like, you know, I have listeners outside of Canada. So do you happen to know how that would be safe in other countries? I'm, I'm
0: not 100% sure. I do know that we have only recently started to see some cases, and they've been out of Ontario, where a spouse has sued uh, for emotional distress, essentially, r- arising from abuse through a marriage. And we're not seeing it coming up often. I think there's one or two cases off the top of my head where it's come through in Ontario. Um, But I'm not 100% sure about Mm -hmm. laws in other countries and and where they stand. And, you know, perhaps um, listeners from other countries may be able to comment on that and and kind of enlighten whether or not they know of any laws and, you know, things that we could be trying to introduce in Canada to, to make this better for people who have gone through these experiences.
1: You were you're speaking exactly what was in my head, Katie. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe there would be listeners that can comment on that and and let us know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this slide just talks about the process. It this would be specifically for a contested divorce. Uh, uncontested, you can do that together. So if you're not, uh, if you're not fighting with each other, then you can go in and file that paperwork together. So. Uh, Step one is to file your statement of claim at the Court of King's Bench. You then need to hire a process server to serve your spouse with the statement of claim. And then as I keep repeating over and over, court wants to see that you have dealt with parenting, child support, spousal support, and property before they'll grant a divorce. And there's lots of different ways that I've outlined here that you can do those things. You can talk to each other. You can negotiate things. You can mediate with a, a third-party mediator, you can go to arbitration, which is a process where you've essentially hired someone to be a private judge to make a decision for you. Uh, there's four-way settlement meetings where you would both bring your counsel and sit in the same room together and try to sort things out. Uh, trial, of course, being one of the most expensive ways to, to have a decision made, but as a decision is made at the end of the day when you go to trial. Um, by a judge and any other method by which you can agree. I mean, sometimes we always hear the funny story of, you know, parties couldn't agree how to split smaller household items. Who gets to keep the coffee maker? Well, we're going to flip a coin. If that's what it comes down to and that's what you can live with, then, you know, do it because I have never seen and hope to never see um, someone in court making a formal court application over a coffee maker. Because that <laughs> formal court application is going to cost you probably about, you know, 300 coffee makers worth. <laughs> <laughs> um, once your documents are filed and the courts approve them, then you'll get a divorce judgment back. And your divorce becomes valid 31 days after that judgment is granted. And the reason for that is because there is an appeal period Uh, for almost anything that's done through the courts, and that includes a divorce. So one party could come back and try to appeal and say, no, this isn't the way it should be. Um, And again, that's something that we see very rarely. So this is a little more about um, how the courts make determinations about parenting time and decision-making responsibility. But this really boils down to what is going to be in a child's best interest. There's factors here like the parents' level of responsibilities, any problematic behaviors, environments, plans for future, ability of parents to cooperate with each other. um, And the court might consider, I I don't wanna put too much weight on this because we really only see this when children are much older, but might consider the the children's voices and if a child is younger, so like a five-year-old saying, I want to live with dad, isn't going to be given as much weight as a 16-year-old saying, I'm not going to my dad's house, right? Um, that, that 16-year-old has had more life experience, uh, has more cognitive ability to recognize the consequences of their decisions. And so for that reason, the court will give a little more weight to that child's voice. Um, but one way or another even that five-year-old should have a voice in the process even if that voice isn't going to determine the final outcome in the proceedings. That's
1: good to know. You sometimes hear about that magic age of 14. Yeah and there really is no magic age. I've seen courts say I don't
0: care how old your kid is if your kid is 16 this is what the court is saying and even 16-year-olds need to recognize that the courts have authority over them. The courts have authority over all of us and that we all have to follow laws and orders and that kind of thing. Um, but then there's other times where the court says, yeah, I, this 16-year-old knows exactly what they're doing, knows exactly what the consequences of their actions are. And, you know, if I try to make an order saying that this 16-year-old has to spend five days with mom, that 16 year olds probably going to run away right mm-hmm. so there's lots of different things that the court will consider and there's all different factors there's never a cut and dry solution for any family um because there is no mold you know every family coming into the court if they need to go into the court is different and they're going to need a different solution and it that's... changes over time yes it does and that's also why courts often aren't the best place for families to end up because more often than not, you get a very limited time to speak to your matter in court. You have a very limited time to introduce who you are and who your family is to the judge. And then you're relying on that person who's only met you for moments and read a couple affidavits worth of evidence to make a decision that's going to affect your family. And so if you have the ability to work things out for yourself, I always tell clients, you know, it might not be exactly what you want, but it's probably not exactly what the other parent wants. Mm
1: -hmm. And if you
0: guys can live with it, keep the control within your family.
1: Yeah. Good advice.
0: Um, For unmarried couples. So this is the slide that I referenced early on. Um, There's different terminology for that time together with children. So guardianship is something that's proven um, essentially, it's assumed that a mother who births a child is a guardian of the child. Of course, there's different rules and regulations in place for surrogacy, adoption, that kind of thing. So that is all covered by the legislation as well. Um, but to to be ordered parenting time, you must first prove that you're a guardian. And that essentially, the very quick way to describe it is, have you shown an intention and ability To step up and take responsibility for this child. Hmm. Uh, From there, parenting time can be ordered by the court. And if you're not a guardian, then contact time might apply. And so it it essentially means the same thing, uh, but it's a different terminology to recognize that you're not a guardian. And so that can also apply, contact time can also apply to extended family, grandparents. Um, So when you hear about issues of grandparents access that's that's an application for contact time, but I won't go too far into that. That's a different, different story. <laughs> property division. Then, yes, property division. So when you've got everything else dealt with, um, so for both married and unmarried couples, we have the same legislation now, and that's the Family Property Act. Uh, there is a presumption, a starting presumption that all property is divided equally uh, anything that was brought into the marriage could be exempt, any gifts or inheritance could be exempt, uh, any, uh, if you were in a car accident, and you got uh, payout for that, that could be exempt. And when I say exempt, that means it wouldn't be included in that property division. But there are other issues that go along with that exemption, you need to be able to trace it, you need to be able to prove it. So um, you can't just say, you know, I had $500,000 before this marriage and now I don't, well, then where did it go, right? There's there's other things that we need to figure out before we can just say, I had this, so. Um, now, property is something that uh, can only be dealt with in the court of King's Bench. So the lower court cannot deal with property at all. So if, if property is part of your application, uh, and you're not married, then you may just want to go through the Court of King's Bench at the first instance anyway, even if you're you're dealing with parenting and support, uh, because eventually you're going to need to get there anyway if you can't reach an agreement. So that is my overview. Um, of course, as I'm sure you've uh, experienced going through it, there's lots of questions that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, just hearing kind of a brief overview of, of what it looks like. And you know, I, I mentioned a few things that I kind of skimmed over and, and didn't really go into detail on because I would need like five hours of your time to be able to explain anything in detail. <laughs> Do you have any
1: more uh is are there any more slides?
0: No, I don't believe so. Okay, no.
1: let's let's uh tuck that there. Now we can see yeah. you. All right. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> now as we have in our disclaimers, this is information for information purposes. And obviously, uh, this advice is not legal advice. It's, an, it's informative and it's to support and educate. And, you know, you want to go to a source with your own specific case and your own specific situation. Uh, Katie, can you talk a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so even with the overview that I gave, it can change from family to family. Um, like I was saying with parenting, there is no cookie cutter solution. There is no one size fits all. Um, often there are circumstances that will make things different for every single person going through divorce. No one's going to experience this exactly the same way as another. And the same thing goes for your experience with the court process, with lawyers, Um with finalizing everything and with how it's going to be finalized. So, um, yes, this this was for information purposes only and is not to be considered legal advice from myself. Um, I do always recommend, even if you don't want to proceed with lawyers helping you through your divorce, um, contact one and just have an hour or so of advice and just get some idea of, how your specific scenario fits within this overview. Um, if you know money is an issue, then there are resources out there for people who are have more limited funds but want to um, want to seek further advice. So uh, I'll do a little plug for two um, two that I'm actually directly involved in myself. So first is the lawyer referral service. That's done through our Law Society of Alberta. So on their website, um, you can go to lawyer referral and type in kind of what area of law you're having an issue with. So you would just say family law. They'll give you the names of three lawyers uh, that practice in that area. You can call those lawyers and set up an appointment for a free 30-minute session. So 30 minutes of advice um, at no cost. And then similarly, there's Calgary Legal Guidance Um, Now, with Calgary Legal Guidance, I do believe there is some uh, income qualification requirement that you do need to go through, Um, but they will set you up for a 45-minute appointment for free legal advice with a lawyer if you meet their income qualification requirements. Um, Of course, there's also legal aid, but uh, they're quite limited in in what they offer based on their income requirements. So, um, you know, at the very least... See, see if you can get something somewhere to know you're on the right path to know you're not giving up rights that you don't have to give up. Um, and even if you choose to give up those rights, at least you know what they are, you know, what you're giving away, what you're choosing to take and leave one way or another.
1: And you also mentioned the link for those other resources for like the DIYs, the do it yourself for forms and, and instructions. Yes. Yeah, and, so and that website?
0: Uh, That's just albertacourts.ca. Okay. And then the Court of King's Bench is the court that you select for those.
1: Okay, so those will all be shared in the show notes just so people can, uh, it'll be linked directly. You can click right on those. Thank you so much, Katie, for your time and for sharing your expertise in this to just give us a, an overview of what family law consists of and some of the terminology and the processes and, you know, the different types of of, you know, whether it was parenting or different types of divorce or, you know, those all those factors that people could, well, they will very likely face and also to clarify a bit more on um, the common law or adult interdependent relationships too. So, yeah, I think that's very, very helpful. Well, i'm glad i i hope that
0: um there are some good takeaways for listeners
1: and i'd love to have you back again we're going to be having some bite-sized episodes coming up where we just really drill down and talk a short period about a certain thing and it might just be an, an action they could do maybe there is some documentation that they should consider having prepared you know those types of, of little little bits, because there's a lot of chaos going on in people's heads when they're dealing with this. And sometimes it's easier to digest in, in smaller pieces. And I love that you created a visual as well. So just as a reminder, that can all be seen, it'll be linked to our website. And it's also on the YouTube channel. So you can actually look and see the lists and the information that Katie has put together for you there. And of course, we will have your contact information as well, Katie, so people can reach out to you if they have any questions about what you presented today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.